of Logi, which uh, some Logi have, there are different magnitudes of creative powers. So some Logi create single star systems, some create entire galaxies, and some of us create babies. <laughs> so we are sub 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 logos. And so uh, for those of uh, y'all who don't know, Hinduism kind of served as my catalyst um, for awakening to enlightenment. And so uh, one god or deity I kind of gravitated towards when I was practicing Hinduism was Vishnu. And so Hinduism um, is, I'm in Hinduism, the god Vishnu is the personification of the Logos. So Hindus kind of understand the Logos um, within the religion. It's just personified in the form of Vishnu. And Vishnu is Sanskrit, and that means all pervasives or one who is everything and inside everything. As Vishnu sleeps, universes are dreamed and created, and he sustains, transforms, and protects them while simultaneously being the awareness experiencing everything in them. So this is a pretty popular depiction of Vishnu within Hinduism. You have him in the center sleep, and then from him, you can kind of see the bubbles coming out, and within each of those bubbles, those bubbles kind of represent uh, universes or creations, and within each bubble, if you look closer, you can see Vishnu also within that. So like I said, that's Hindu, the Hindu's version or personification of the logos and the depiction of it. All right, next we have Galactic Logi. So after the Primal Logos has set creation into motion, it spawns an infinite subset of co-creators or creative principles that create galaxies. Um, these galaxies are creatures of free wills, and so they're co-creators that further take the plan of the logos and refine it how they see fit in order to provide the creator with experience. And they do this through designing the natural laws or laws of physics, setting the parameters and constructs within which free will may be reached and evolution achieved, utilizing knowledge of experience from previous creations, creating the solar systems, and et cetera. And then, like I said, they do all of this without adding or taking away from the original plan of the Primal Logos. Once the plan is conceived and begins to coalesce and manifest, surprises and unknowns await both the Logos manifesting the plan and the sub-Logi um, operating within that plan. So after the Galactic Logos, you have the Solar sub-Logos kind of next in line in the hierarchy. And so once the galactic logos is in place, another subset of co-creators begin to appear. And so Ra calls these the offspring of the logos, and they are our stars. So our sun is a sub-logos, and they are creator entities of love. The sub-logos, uh, the sub-logos is a local architect and reigns over its portion of the infinite creation, seeking to provide the creator with even more experience through further continuing and refining the plan set forth in the galactic logos. So you have the Primal logos that creates the entire octave and pretty much the overall blueprint. And then you have um, the galactic logo that take that even further. And then the sub-logi that take that even further to provide the creator with experience. Um, utilizing its free will, the sub-logos makes refinements to the cosmic mind, creating its own unique archetypal mind. Now, forgive me if I misuse archetypical and archetypal. I've always been screwed up on which, um, which one to use, so forgive me if I use the wrong term. Uh, but the sub-logos also creates the solar system and the blueprint for the densities within its creation. Other things that the sub-logos, such as our sun, determines is the presence and opacity of the veil, design of physical vehicles, bias towards polarity, 
how intelligent energy is utilized and displayed and etc. Sublogi are also in communication with one another and they're aware of all of the experiments and results that have taken place within the other portions of the creation and also from the previous um, octaves of creation. Uh, an example of this would be the veil. So Ross states that in the earlier creations of the sublogi, there was no veil. Um, third density entities were aware of the unity of creation, and they were kind of like in an Eden-type blissful state. But these earlier sublogi found that that kind of created stagnant evolution, because if you know all this one, everything is fine, you're not really going to be inclined to want to evolve. And so various sublogi started experimenting with veiling the subconscious from the conscious mind, and that proved to be a very successful um, experiment. And so a lot of sublogi past that point have utilized the veil. Another example of um, using prior knowledge would be the male-female mating situation for polarization. So Ross says that one of the harvests from the previous universe or the previous creation before this one, the creator learned that the male and female pairing was the most uh, efficient for polarization. And so a lot of sublogi, which I'll talk about later, kind of implant that um, knowledge within the confines of their creation. And so this knowledge is taken into account when the sublogos is designing its local creation, and it can implant these biases, like I said, within the framework, uh, adjusting as it sees fit. Now, the archetypical mind is the serves as the blueprint for uh, evolution with, um, within the third density that each third density mind will take part of. Raw mentions that the archetypical mind is unique to each um, solar system or each sublogos, and that some of their social memory complex has ventured off to other um, archetypical minds and have been staggered. So each mind is different. The laws of physics and everything vary between each solar system. Not too extreme, but there are slight um, differences between them. And now for the star of my presentation, pun intended. Our sublogos. Our sublogos is a living conscious entity of love that is the creator and architect of our local portion of the infinite creation. Working within the parameters of the plan set forth by our Milky Way logos, it has created our solar system and the means by which the creator evolves through and experiences it. As a sublogos, our sun is a miniature local version of the promo logos for unconditional love. And also I like to tell people that the second distortion is in the sky. If you want to know what the second distortion is, go outside and kind of look in the sky. It's like a miniature local version of it. It creates and gives its light and love to all parts of its creation without discrimination. It watches closely to observe the results of its plan as conscious entities uh, proceed through this plan. And so it, there is no set predetermined uh, I guess you could call it destiny for entities going through the uh, solar logos' plan, but it does sit and watch and kind of allows the free will and watches to see how entities within its plan react. It also provides a never-ending flow of energy that keeps us alive in our energy centers functioning. Its rays provide plants with growth, changes in the weather, and solar energy. The sun is inhabited by Ra, along with other six density entities and angelic and guardian presences. Um, from the Ra contact and the Confederation's messages, we have a good amount of information on kind of the insight into our sublogos and why it chose to 
make some of the decisions it did within for our creation, such as the archetypical mind, the display of the creator's love and light, the bias of polarity, our physical vehicles, and the veil. So when talking about the archetypical mind, our son further refined the cosmic all mind to establish its own unique archetypical mind that serves as the blueprint for evolution that all of us experience. So like I said, the archetypical mind is a blueprint that each third density entity will utilize as we proceed through third density. Um, this uh, Our son's archetypical mind is comprised of 22 archetypes, seven for the evolution of mind, seven for the evolution of body, seven for the evolution of spirit, and then the choice. According to Ra, um, this amount of archetypes is quite a bit. Ra states that there really is no average, but a lot of other sub-logi only have about five to eight archetypes, and our sub-logos has 22. And there is a reason for that, which I will explain next. And so why does our son have a greater variety of archetypes within its archetypical mind? That is because our son chose to allow more of the love and the light of the creator to be on display. And so it didn't allow um, for a neutral background for incarnative experiences. Our son wanted us to experience the love and the light of the infinite creator, both outwardly and um, inwardly visible. So who all here has, you know, cried at a movie or a piece of artwork and it's just really moved you emotionally? Anybody? And so part of that is because of the love and the light that the sun shows. This is a quote um, from Ra. There are logi which have offered a neutral background against which to polarize. This logo chose not to do so, but instead to allow more of the love and the light of the infinite creator to be both inwardly and outwardly visible and available to the sensations and conceptualizations of entities undergoing its care and experimenting. And so because our sub-logos wanted a great amount of the creator's love and light to shine through, this results in the beauty of our planet and the vast amount of life forms and species that we have here. Um, this is also the reason why we may be overcome with emotion or moved emotionally or cry when we see a scene or a movie or a piece of art. That type of beauty and love and light, we get to feel inwardly and we also get to express it outwardly and just see it on full display because our son chose that for us there are other um creations from so logi where they aren't so lucky to have such a very beautiful and vivid planet or experience but our son wanted us to have that so thank the son Our sun does have a bias in polarity. So as a sub logos, our sun desires to provide each third density entity with the greatest and most efficient means for polarization. Although our sun may not predetermine our polarity for us, it does have a bias for one of the two paths. Um, this is a quote from Ra. Ra says that within the experiential nexus of each entity within its second density environment and within the roots of mind, there were placed the biases indicating to the watchful eye the more efficient of the two paths. Let us say for one of more of precise adjective that this logos has a bias towards kindness. So our son kind of has a bias towards the service to others path, uh, has a bias towards kindness, which it um, purposefully implement, implemented within its plan. Um, our son also imprinted its bias towards the mated and monogamous relationship in some of our second density fauna. And so earlier I was saying that one of the hardest from the previous creation was the efficiency of the male-female body. 
our son, when establishing the plan for our solar system, kept that in mind and then kind of imprinted that bias within the second density fauna um, of the planets. And so our physical bodies derive from that fauna. So there is a kind of a mild carryover of that, of monogamous relationships in our DNA from our second density evolution. Our physical vehicles, and this is probably one of my favorite parts to talk about uh, with our sub-logos. Each sub-logos chooses the physical vehicle that will house the consciousness of an entity as it proceeds through the densities. Our sun, along with a few other neighboring sub-logi, chose the second density erect bipedal great ape form to invest with 3D consciousness. So this means that every planet in our solar system that has had 3D life, uh, Venus, Mars, Maldek, they all, all had some form of great ape within their second density that was native to their planet. And so our physical bodies um, are somewhat similar to the physical bodies that Ra had in their third density, to the, what the Martians had, the Maldekians, and so forth and so on. Um, Ra also mentions that um, Uranus is currently going through the first density and has the opportunity to host their density life in the future. And if, if that's the case, then um, Uranus will develop some form of erect ape in its second density so that its third density members can inhabit that vehicle. And so um, the reasons for that the sun chose this. Um, so the Confederation and Raw both tell us that about 5% of our galaxy uses this form of body. So there's a pretty wide variation of physical bodies that exist within just our galaxy alone. And 5% of the sublogi within our Milky Way galaxy all chose the erect um, ape. And some of the reasons for this that our sun chose it was, um, was to provide a third density entities with the greatest means of polarization. And because of this, our son intentionally chose the erect ape, most importantly for the opposable thumb. Now, the reason that our sub-logos chose the erect ape for the opposable thumb is because the opposable thumb leads to grasping nature, which then leads to tool making, which then um, leads to written language, which then leads to verbal language. And so the reason our son did this was because it didn't want us to have telepathic communication like some other third density societies have, or it didn't want us to be able to exchange ideas quickly. It wanted us to be focused on our physical words that, you know, with our, to work with our hands and not be so much in our minds. Um, and because of that, it also chose for us to have a smaller brain. The smaller our brain, the less um, capacity we have to use our mental powers that some other third density entities may use. Um, from the Confederation, we know that there are other third density entities out there who have larger craniums for larger brains, and they're able to use the powers of their mind. But our son didn't want that. And the Confederation gives us a quote, um, they say that the reason for this is because this allows such entities to move throughout the density experience in a much more rapid progression, so that the means of discovering the other self nature of all entities surrounding such entities is enhanced. Thus, those of Ra, as with those of planet Earth, the planet previously known as Maudek, the planet Saturn, and the planet of Mars, have all hosted third density beings, which have been able to utilize the veil of forgetting that exists between the conscious <laughs> and the conscious mind. That leads me next to the veil. 
And so, um, as I mentioned earlier, it was uh, found that in a lot of early experiments that the veil was very conducive for creating that polarization. So if someone wanted to provide the highest quality experience to the creator, so it carefully veiled the conscious mind from the subconscious and deep minds of all third density entities on any planet that has or will have third density life. And so when the veil is in place, um, the unity and truth of creation isn't as apparent and so that kind of leads to people turning away from their intuition and subconscious and having to think on their own and really seek the creator. Um, and so this creates the perfect backdrop for making the choice and polarizing. Um, before there, there was a vow, um, the service to self-polarity did not exist. That's because every entity in their density didn't have the veil, so they were aware that all was one. But as the veil started being introduced, <sighs> And the opacity and the thickness of the veil started being adjusted by the various of logi. The service to self polarity was born because now you're veiled, you're cut off, and you don't consciously remember that the person standing in front of you is also you. The thickness and the transparency of the veil is not constant, and that changes as the sun sees fit. For instance, Ra mentioned that they enjoyed a slightly thinner veil on Venus, um, but I will get into the more details of that next week. Because there is a very, there's very interesting results with the thickness of the veil. Thicker veils produce certain results and the thinner veils produce certain results. And like I said, I'll get into all that next week. Alrighty, so next week, uh, I will talk about the history of our solar system as it pertains to our solar logos and the results of the sun's plans thus far. Uh, does anyone have any questions? Not a question, but thank you for putting that beautiful slideshow together for us. That was what lovely. Thank you. Sorry if I went too fast, <laughs> but thank you, Troy. Yeah, it's a, a lot to take in to have to think about a question. I, I, That's a lot of uh, disparate readings that you're pulling together into one place. So that, that's kind of... Uh, Monumental, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was kind of tough because, like I said, I've been studying um, this topic for so long and I've read so many different things from Ra and the Confederation. So when you try and fit it all into one PowerPoint, it, it can be rough. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Hopefully I was muted because I sneezed twice really loud. So I hope nobody heard that. <laughs> I hope that wasn't recorded. Um, can you... Um, I think it was in the earlier slides. You were so the logos, and then all the sublogos. Can you go back through that again? Because it was uh, absolutely that was a little quick. So if you can just repeat that part for me, the rest I kept up on. So righty. let me see. Was it this slide? Let me get my glasses on. Uh, yeah, primal groups and from sun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got it. Yeah, I'm familiar with the octaves and whatnot, but I just needed to see that what you had. Great. Thank you. My pleasure.
Is there anything that popped on anybody's minds or any questions? I'm curious, how many sessions are you going to do? Um, probably, probably two more. Um, like I said, next week I'm going to talk about the history of the solar system, which needed its own presentation because there's a lot that happened um, on the three planets prior to ours. As like I said, as it pertains to the Arcelbogos. And then um, there's some more information on the sub-logo sites, kind of like miscellaneous that I wanted to dedicate uh, a PowerPoint presentation to, such as solar flares and why they exist and black holes and all of that good stuff. So that's my cool. final presentation. Yeah, the, uh, I've only gotten sort of 50 to 50 or 50, session 50 or 51 in a row. And of course, it's not a one-time reading or listening to it. You have to redo it some going to try to get through all of it but I found your um, the information about the sun was very very interesting we call um, listening to or hearing that um, anywhere so I thought that was very interesting so I am very interested to hear about solar flares and all the other other planets and sun i don't know awesome yeah I'm, I'm definitely really excited to share um you know like most before the law of one like most people i thought the sun was just a regular ball of gas you know fusing, fusing hydrogen and helium um but then i started really getting into the metaphysics of it and then um from there reading the confederations messages and they even expound on raw's things and even bring up things that raw didn't talk about such as like the solar flares and six density entities making love in the sun and the offspring bring light and all of that good stuff. So I'm excited to. Very interesting. I have curiosity. Is the moon got anything going? (laughs) So yes. And I actually will make mention of that in my uh, final presentation. Um, There was a, I was reading a training session and somebody asked the Confederation why the moon and our sun appear the same size in our sky. And apparently that was intelligently deliberately designed by our sub-logos. And the different phases of the moon, because I know, for example, the full moon can affect the ener- energy of various in- individuals. And, and uh, I know, well, one reason I know that is because I used to work in a hospital emergency room. I'm telling you, it was totally different during the full moon time than when it wasn't. So I don't know, it'd be interesting to learn more about the, the moon too as well if there's any, anything on that oh yeah for sure the young moon's really interesting i see noah has her hand out i have a question actually i i was listening to troy and doug's podcast over the weekend and now you're talking about archetypes and i'm realizing maybe i don't really know what they are in terms of raw so maybe is that something you could talk about or expand on a little bit? Maybe you and Troy could help me understand it better. So I, I, I understand the, the, archetype, the archetypal mind is probably the only part of the raw material that I just cannot wrap my head around. Uh, it's just a lot. And so I, I need to sit down and actually study it. So I just know like the basics, but Troy would probably be able to present better on that. Well, my archetypal understandings are dominantly Jungian. And, but an archetype overall is a universal pattern. That's all it is. 
And then we intuit those universal patterns in various ways uh, through symbols. They come out in dreams. They come out in our artwork and our plays and movies. So, um, and, and we begin to notice universals that pop up everywhere. And, and so the people who think about these things will, will try to describe archetypes. And we understand that certain kind of archetypes get activated. You know, there's archetypes of infancy and, and toddlerhood and, and that, kind of, that kind of move us along in a path, as well as the overall pattern of the path itself. <clears throat> so those, that's what I think of at, at the base now of, of what an archetype is. Um, now, Ra's archetypes are, he's kind of patterned with, with the tarot images. And honestly, I don't understand those. I think Doug has done about as good as anybody and making sense of them for me and the, the things that he pulled together. But Raw and the L&L group never finished the discussion of the, of the archetypes. And so we will never know what Raw thinks about those things. But he says it's kind of not important what he thinks yeah. because just pondering them somehow is uh, mysteriously beneficial. Even if even if we can't necessarily agree what all the symbols mean, so um, yeah, you can study archetypes in, in Jungian literature. Uh, you can appreciate them in dreams. I've seen them in patients on occasion. Um, okay, uh, that's what I'm getting at. That's the part I don't understand. Like. So I understand everything that you're saying about archetypes and that's stuff I know, I guess. But when you say they're like, how are they, like there's things that are being universally played out, like not just on earth or did like our logos pick these specific uh, archetypes? Well, I, would, I would think they're mostly on earth. That's, kind of, that's what I meant by universal, universal oh. for culture, I guess. So they've they're like always been there and they probably like stem down to like, okay, I get it. I think I get it now. They're very ancient. They're very ingrained. They're very right. instinctual. Yeah. Right. And, and like, like I said, our son refined the a cosmic all mind. So we never know. We don't know if there's a primal archetypical mind of the primal logos, but the archetypical mind that our son did choose every third density entity um, in the solar system of also that so raw when they were on Venus they experienced the same archetypical mind those on Mars and Maldek also did too so these patterns and these things that we experienced they are also experienced yeah I'm sure it's different on other galaxies but oh yeah all, all we got to work with is our logos so these are like the things that are designed in the background to kind of help us move up the stages of. Yes, exactly. Duh, I don't know point. why I never realized that till now. <laughs> I mean, I've read so many books about archetypes and I never, this is just real coming to my mm. understanding. That's silly. Thank you. Oh, oh glad that helped. 
I see a question from um, Sonia. She said, did you say it's ideal for one man in one woman relationship? Um, so that's a really interesting topic. So the creator from the previous, like I said, Octave Universe found that the man and, um, male and female one monogamous relationship pair was really efficient for polarization. Um, so yeah, that's correct. And our son, knowing that, like I said, imprinted that bias in second density fauna, um, and then that kind of carry over it into the genetic makeup of our third um, physical being. So humans have a unconscious, that bias is implanted in our unconscious deep mind of the monogamous relationship. Like I said, we have complete, absolute free will. The sun's not saying, here, you should do this, but it's giving like, you know, it's like a little wink. <laughs> uh, Martha, you have your hand up? Oops, let me get this done. I was just going to say on the archetypes, I still remember the first time I ever heard that term and understood it was when I was reading a book called Please Understand Me. It was about Myers-Briggs. And the uh, when I got to my part, which is an INFP, and they gave the archetypes being Joan of Arc for the female, which I was not happy about, and uh, um, Sir Galahad for, no, Lancelot for the male. And that's when, when it's kind of like the movie, The Miracle uh, Teacher with Helen Geller. Once I've seen that, then I could start seeing other archetypes that fit in, you know, that repeats over and over and over again. Now, as time goes by, some of those archetypes are harder to see because they're not as old fashioned. But if you look, they're still there. You know, that's my taking. Nothing else. <laughs> Thank you. I figure out how to lower the hand. Oh, yeah, Neil. Have you, um, I guess, read anything explaining kind of what it looks like to live on the sun or like what the sixth density, or do you go into that later? Um, uh, so I don't, there's no, I haven't read anything on what it looks like, but I do know that six density entities, it is common for, and this is throughout the creation, six density entities are reside within the solar bodies. That's common for them too, um, because the solar bodies are the, are sub logos. And so as six density entities are seeking to rejoin with the primal logos, it is my theory that that's why they become a part and inhabit the sun because the sun is, you know, the, the closest thing for them to the infinite creator. Um, I do know that fifth density entities can go to the solar body and kind of make love. And then after they're finished, they, they can't sustain the vibration. So they go return back to their fifth density physical body. Um, but solar bodies are inhabited um, by six density entities. And like, I don't, I haven't read anything on what it's like or what it looks like or anything, but I can imagine a lot of light. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if they're like, oh yeah, we have our own homes and there's like rivers here in six days. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So do you think that there's like a, a larger sun that gives light to our sun or is our sun communicating with a higher 
Um, so yeah, uh, there would be the primal logos. Or so our sun would be kind of the offspring of the galactic logos, which would be the offspring of the primal logos. Um, so the primal logos, Ross says there is a signature creation, which is the primal logos. So I can imagine um, a lot of a lot of new age spiritual circles refer to the primal logos as the great central sun. So I can kind of see it being this huge, gigantic sun that gives life to all the other galactic and sub logos. Will you say that order again? Primal. Um, so galactic. you have the primal logos, and then you have the galactic logos, and then the sub logos or the solar logos. And then we as humans are actually sub, sub, sub logos. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Anyone have anything else? You still uh, doing anything with Vishnu? Uh, no, not anymore. Um, so Hinduism, like I said, it uh, served as my catalyst for a while um, for my enlightenment. And then I kind of grew out of it, I guess you could say. Um, it got me, I guess, to a point where I needed to be spiritually. And then right after that, I found the law of one. So... It was kind of like that final, I guess it was my prerequisite to becoming enlightenment to the unity of creation, which paved the way for me to be able to set the law of one. But um, I don't you know, follow Vishnu or anything, but I am, a, I'm still a fan of Krishna, who is an avatar of Vishnu. And pretty much what an avatar is in Hinduism is just like Jesus is an emissary of the logos who comes to teach and lead and be the example of the logos and personified form. Um, so I still do read a lot of Krishna's teachings and all of that stuff. If you read the Bhagavad Gita, yep. for, for someone who's hung around with Jesus a lot, Krishna sure felt a lot to me a lot like Jesus in, in the way he related to uh, uh, Arnu. Is there, what was what was the protagonist's name to oh, arjuna arjuna okay mm-hmm. and anyway that was my just my impression and oh yeah i call him the um the jesus of hinduism oh, a lot of hindus even consider jesus a avatar vishnu because like i said vishnu is just another name for a cosmic consciousness or christ consciousness they call it krishna consciousness um so a lot of hindus consider jesus an avatar of vishnu or the logos That reminded me of Doug's description of what he thinks Metatron is. (laughs) Tell us, tell us. Just kind of like the interweaving web that connects everything. There's some intelligent force behind it. There's a writing about it somewhere. Yes. Yeah, I've read a little bit on Metatron. The Confederation also says that um, there are these angelic presences um, that assist our son, you know, in forming the archetypical mind and helping out and all of that gets watching over the solar system and all of that good stuff. The early Christians, apparently, um, in their writings, this is all according to my 
original spiritual director, but they they often conflated what we would call archetypes and angels, and and um, the concepts the concepts were kind of blurred together a bit. So, yeah, wow. Angels mediating archetypes makes a good sense <laughs> in that. <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It feels like somebody needs to be mediating it, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's probably a super complex system. Yeah, and I can only imagine what that looks like. Yeah, what right. Identities. Um, Ross says there's a certain percentage of the confederation that they weren't allowed to speak of. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> sure that, really? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can only imagine what those presences may be like. I sometimes wonder if I can even imagine. <laughs> I know that that's the that's the thing. Um, it's also incomprehensible, even to higher density. Um, I, I, like I said, I read a lot of Confederation messages, and they were asked about the um, guardians on Saturn. And they, even them in fifth density, didn't know much about the Guardians because they're eighth density. They're way even beyond fifth density. So they were like, we may know just a little bit more than you, but they're still a mystery to us. So even higher densities have a hard time grasping these concepts. Uh, Martha, you have your hand up? Uh, you're on mute. Martha, hey, Martha, you're on mute. I'm so technologically challenged. I don't know when I'm on and when I'm off. <laughs> okay. like, what, when, what I wanted to say real quick was I come from a military background. I grew up in a military home and not religious at all. And uh, as I started this journey, there was a long period of time that I prayed for God to send me the chain of command to heaven. And then I found the law of one, and it was like, okay, you don't need to chain the command anymore. You got it now, huh? Wow. Got the chain of command. That's it. The, uh, there's a kind of ancient book from about 500 AD called The Angelic Hierarchy. It's by uh, Pseudo Dionysius, and it's uh, part of the sort of Christian heritage. And he's got he's got all the angels all listed up for you, Martha. If you ever need to go, go look that up. <laughs> I think half, half of them are angels, the other half are saints. Keep them separated. So I just go, I don't care who's who. I just keep on trucking. By the way, <laughs> next time I meet, I won't even be in Texas. I start my uh, well, Of course, Texans have their own special hierarchy, I'm sure. I wasn't born in Texas. True. <laughs> we have to do it our Texan. way. <laughs> I'm not a true Texan. I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. You can't get much northern than that. No. <laughs> Actually, we only think we have it different than everybody else. But yeah. We're all human. <laughs> so I guess other than raw and L research, you found other confederation channelings from different sources um the confederation channelings are uh, LO research okay so they they started doing channeling i think in the 70s late 60s early 70s right before the raw contact 
Yeah. And um, they were doing channeling circles. And we, that's how um, Carla met Don. And that's how they all got together. And so they, LL continues to do channeling circles up until this day. Now they do twice a month. And you can like submit questions and everything. So I emailed them the other week to ask who, which is um, the principal and the, which is our contact in the Confederation. And so I love their, I love reading their messages because it, they made, they, it's very easy to read, easier to read than the raw material. And they just expound on Ra's material so much. And because they're not six density entities, they can kind of answer some things and go into places that Ra wasn't able to. So it's really you helpful information. Carla's voice. Uh, actually listen to the audio of Carla's voice. It is amazing mm-hmm. because nobody it's human can speak that slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't listen to her channeling. I can feel the pain in her body. Yeah. Same. I, I give it out to shout out to Jim for transcribing all of that. And because, yeah. Have, have, have any of you? Listen to Carla's awake voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think she's a great, very gracious speaker. Yeah. She's, she's, oh God, it's so different. Her regular voice and her mm-hmm. channeling voice. <laughs> Apparently, Raw, because it was a trance channeling where her, she was out of her body, Raw was altering her vocal cords, which kind of, I guess, was, you know, one of the reasons she spoke so slow versus. Um, the channeling circles where that's not trance channeling, that's different. I haven't heard one of those, but I don't know if they speak as slow, but I, I heard that may be one of the reasons why I call spoke so slow is because she was trying to, they were altering or messing with her vocal box and getting yep. the concepts out. She gave her whole body over to Raw for that time period. Yeah. Brave woman. Do you subscribe? Is there a way to subscribe to get the messages from the Confederation channel? Um, I just, you just go on LO's research under their channeling tab and they have the entire archive of channelings they've done since the 60s or 70s. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll there there is a newsletter that they send out monthly called okay. Light Lines. And you can sign up for that. Look for Light Lines on their website. Okay. I didn't think to go to their website. <laughs> yeah, the ch- I highly recommend the channel. Is, they're awesome. So with all your um, work, study in this, do you go out in the sun and say anything like in your mind, like, oh, I love you so much, thank you so much. Like, do you, do you get feelings like from the sun when you actually speak to it? Like, have you experienced yeah, so after once I really got into the study of the sub-logos, I kind of started this morning ritual where I would just stand in the sun's light, you know, with the sun in view, and I would just close my eyes and thank it, be thankful for it, because it is conscious, it is aware that I'm communicating with it. Um, so I do that every morning. Anytime I'm walking outside, I just take a minute to just really soak in the love and the light and just really appreciate it and be in the presence of the, the sub-logos. And I think one thing that really makes the difference is I know that the son is conscious of that. 
you know, so it's not like I'm just, oh, hey, thank you. You know, <laughs> the son is actually receiving my praises. And so, yeah. One of the most common yoga ritual uh, sequences is called the um, sun salutation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Gayatri Mantra, I think. Which is pretty much a, a prayer to the logos. It's pretty much translated, I bow down to the source. Um, may it illuminate my mind, give me life, all that good stuff. And Neil, um, I actually just remember when you asked about if, um, you know, what sixth density may look like. I just remember that Raw described what they looked like in sixth density at the time they walked amongst the Egyptians. So Ra says that, um, what was it, like 11,000 years ago when they actually did physically walk amongst the Egyptians, they appeared how they appeared in sixth density, which Ra says they were tall, slender, and had like a golden luster, which is why the Egyptians believed that the gods had golden skin, because Ra's sixth density body was like golden to it. So that's all we know. I guess their whole sun worship has... A deeper meaning they were probably yeah. knowing that it was living entity and exactly which is the reason why Ra was able to go to the Egyptians because their distortions or belief of the sun and nature was somewhat correct and in alignment with the law of one which paved the way for them to be able to land and teach them humans messed it all up yeah <laughs> those sun worshiping people back in the day were on the sun yeah <laughs> I'm going to need to go back and listen to your presentation several times <laughs> because I know I have lots of questions, but yeah, it was, it was yeah. really dense. I really want to know more about the, we have, we feel it in our, on the outside and the inside part, but I need to listen to what you oh. said a couple of times because my questions are probably answered. I just, yeah. <laughs> you go ahead and ask away what, no, I'll wait. <laughs> I love it when that happens, though, when you feel that, when you feel the really good feelings, you know, it can be right. a wave sometimes. But, you know, y'all are talking about the sun, but I have that with the moon. Mm. Like, I get really good feelings with the moon. Yeah. Well, really women grateful are for it. many times, Noah, women are more pulled towards the moon than they are to the sun. I feel like my the moon is my brother. Because there's very few other things in this whole world that I can directly see every single day. And there's like a clear connection to it with me. And it's always been there, you know? Anyway, I love the moon. <laughs> Did y'all see the new, the new apocalypse movie? Like Moonfall or Moon Crash or something? Oh, I can't recommend it more. It's, it's awesome. If you like apocalypse movies. Moonfall, that's what it's called. <clears throat> I'll add that to my list. <laughs> Was the moon just crashes into Earth and kills everyone? It's much <laughs> more complex than that. There's also a conspiracy theory involved. It's just wonderful. Oh, wow. <laughs> the world's been going to end ever since I can remember. I don't watch this type of movies anymore. This is the best evolution of that chain of movies, in my opinion. <laughs> Does the mob try to break into Congress and... and uh, Take over the government? Just in real life. 
Oh, we okay. have dreams. <laughs> I can still remember being about five years old and having a dream that an asteroid had hit out the in front of my front yard. And it's rolling down the street, burning up the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm running around trying to find Jesus because I know it's the end of the world. And he, <laughs> I can't find him in the dream. And that old fiery ball just keeps rolling. And I'm going, where's Jesus? At the end of the world, Jesus is supposed to be back. And I can't find him. All I can see is a big old ball running over people. That's kind of a scary dream. It <laughs> was. For a kid, was yeah. And it was created by watching something on TV about an asteroid hitting the Earth. Mm. One thing about science fiction movies, if you, especially if you've watched them, I enjoy watching them. Um, although they do make them entertaining and theatrical for you know the Hollywood, the audiences that are watching them. If you look really, really deeper into some of what's happening in there. Um, there's a little, little tinge of truth running in yes. there. Um, yeah. Well, I love Star Wars and Star Trek and things like that, but the end of the world movies, I've seen the end of the world too many times in 66 years. So every once in a while I'll watch one, but mostly I stick with the Star Trek and the Star Wars and the, when the, the world doesn't end. Yeah, I don't watch too many of the in the world ones, but hey. Because once it ends, it's just going to start over again, and I don't want to start over again. <laughs> I just find it fascinating about history repeating itself over and over and over again. It's, like, it's an archetype. Uh, over <laughs> and over and over. You can call it an archetype. I call it a merry-go-round. <laughs> It's an unresolved archetype. It's an archetype that's still trying to figure it out. Right. That's a title. Um, well, does someone want to close us out? That was a good hour. My brain's super full. Um, I'm going to close us out. Thank you, Demarcus. All righty. If everyone could close their eyes. Take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. And just become centered, find the creator within you. Soak in the energy that the sublogos is sending to your root chakra. Just become balanced and centered. And we just want to thank the infinite creator for allowing us this opportunity to come together, to share our stories and our knowledge with one another, um, and to be a community as we bring in the fourth density. Uh, we ask, uh, the, thank the infinite creator for allowing me to give this presentation and in hopes that it expands the knowledge of the law of one and how you know we can be more in commune with all of the creation. For as Ross says, all of the creation is alive. And uh, I would also like to send some healing love and light to Doug's entire family and to Fred and also anyone out in the world just struggling right now, um, especially Doug and his family with Fred. I want, to, I want us to send healing, love, and light towards them, that their bodies come back into balance, and that they are healed and restored. And I would like for everyone to repeat after me, I am, I am. the infinite creator manifested into flesh. The infinite creator 
manifest flesh. I am. I am. Infinity. Infinity. Experiencing itself. Experiencing itself. Amen. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to next week. Bye, everybody. Good night.